A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens Part 4 The Last of the Spirits The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee. For in that very air, though the spirit moved it, seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, left nothing of its visible save one outstretched hand. But of this it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt it was tall and stately when it came beside him, that its mysterious presence filled him with solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. I am in the pre- am I in the presence of the ghosts of Christmas yet to come? Said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with his hand. You are about to show me shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in time before us. Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The other portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds. As if the spirit had inclined its head, that was the only answer we seen. Though well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much his legs trembled beneath him. He found he could hardly stand, prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment, observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was not was all the was. All the worse for this, it thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind that dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him. Well, though he stretched out his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spiritual hand on one giant heap of black. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed, I fear you more than any spectre I have seen, but as a known I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was. I am prepared to bear your company. I do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointing straight before him. Lead on, said Scrooge, lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me. I know, lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him, Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, he fought and carried him along. It scarcely seemed to enter the city, the city seemed rather seen to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. But there was there were but there they were in the heart of it. On change almost monks of merchants who hurried up and down and clinked the money in their pockets, conversed in groups and looked at their watches, travelled thoughtfully with their great gold seals, and so forth. But Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit was stopped beside one little knot of businessmen, observing the hand was pointed at observing the hand was pointed to them. Scrooge advanced to listen but to talk no said a great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either. Why, 
Oh, you know, now he's dead. What did he, when did he die? replied another. Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? asked the third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he would never die. God knows, said the first man with a yawn. What did, has he done with his money? asked the red-faced gentleman. The pedelius ex crescent essence on the end of his nose and sh- that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. And hers, said the man from the large chin, yawning again, left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. His pleasantry, pleasantry was received with a gentle laugh. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, said the same Peter. But upon my life, I don't know of anyone to go to it. Suppose we could make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if it's a if there's lunch provided, observed the gentleman. It's crescents on his nose. I must be fed if I make if I make one. I have a laugh. Well, I am the most disinterested among you all. After all, said the first speaker, well, I never wear black gloves and never eat lunch. But I offer you to go if anyone else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that it wasn't his most particular friend. For he used to stop and speak whenever he met. Bye-bye. Biggers and Lister strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. A phantom glided on into the street. A finger pointed to two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that his explanation might lie there too. He knew these men, too, perfectly. They were men of business, very wealthy and great importance. He had made a point always of standing well in their esteem. A business point of view, that is, strictly in a business point of view. How are you, said one. How are you, returned the other. Well, said the other at first. Old Scratch has got his way at last, okay? So I am told, returned the second. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time? You're not a skater, I suppose? No. No, something else to to think of. God, good morning. Another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, their party. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. The feeling assured they must have been have some hidden purpose. He set him aside to consider what it was likely to be. It could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past. His ghost province was the future, nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubting that to what whoever to whomsoever they applied, they had some meant moral for their own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard of everything he saw, especially observed the shadow of himself. <coughs> when it appeared, they had an, an, an explanation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue that he missed and would render the solution for the, of these riddles easy. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his corner. And though the clock pointed to his usual time of day, being there, he saw the likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in through the porch. 
Gaming had advised over so he had been revolving in his mind to change the life of thoughts he hoped. Saw his newborn resolution carried out in this. Quiet and dark beside him stood the phantom, his outstretched hand. He roused himself from his thoughtful quest. He fancied from the turn of the hand and its situation reference to himself. The unseen eyes were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the business scene and went into an obscure part of the town, a scooge never penetrated before. They recognised its situation and its bad reputation. Their ways were foul and narrow, shops were houses wrecked, wretched, people half naked, drunk and slipshod, shod ugly alleyways and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorged their offences of smell. Dirt and life on the staggering street, streets. Whole quarters reek with crime, with filth and misery. Far in his den of infamous result, there was a low browed beetling shop. Below a penthouse roof, there were iron old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy offal were brought. Upon the floor within, there piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, skirt, chains, hinges. Fowls, scales, weights, and refuge iron. All kinds, secrets that few would like to scrutinise were bred and hidden. In mountains unseemly rags, masses corrupted fat, septuples of bones, sitting among among the wares he dealt in, like coal, charcoal stove, made of old bricks with a grey-haired rascal. He said the years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air about by a frowsy clothing of miscellaneous tatters, hung upon a line, and smoked his pipe with all the luxury of calm refinement. Scrooge and the phantom came into the presence of this man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop, which she had scarcely entered, and another woman, similarly laden, came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black. Who no less startled by the sight of them when they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of break of astonishment, in which the old man with the pipe joined them, they all three burst into laughter. Let the charwoman alone be the first, cried she, by the furniture first. Let the laundress alone be the second, and let the undertakers of the man alone be the third. Look here, old Joe. Here's a chance. We haven't all three met here without meaning it. You shouldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come in the parlour. You were made it made it free in a long ago. You know, the other two aren't strangers. Stop to shut the door of the shop. Ah, yeah, which shrieks. Here ain't, ain't much such a rusty piece of metal in the place. As its own injuries, I believe, I'm sure. There are no such old bones here as mine. Aha, we're all sort of our own calling. We have mail match. Come into the parlour. Come into the parlour. Now there was a space between the screen and the rags. The old men raked the fire together. With an old stair rod, having trimmed his smoky lamp, Fred was light. The stem of his pipe put it in his mouth again. 
<clears throat> Why he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor, sat down in a faltering manner, I've told, crossing her elbows and her knees, and looking with bold defiance at the other two. What are the odds then? What odds, Miss Dibbler? said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed, said Laundress. No man more so. Why then, don't you start down staring at us? If you're afraid, woman, who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dibbler. And the man and the men together. Man together. We should hope not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? Not dead men, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dibbler, laughing. You wanted to keep them after you was dead, you wicked old screw, pursued the woman. Why weren't he natural in a lifetime? If he had been, he would have had somebody to look after him. But he was struck with death, instead of living, gasping at his last, there alone by himself. The truest word that ever was spoke, said Mrs. Dibbler. Is a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. It should have been. You may depend upon it. If it, if I could have laid my hands on anything else, upon the bundle, old Joe, let me know the value of it. Speak not plain, out plain. I'm not afraid to be first, more afraid than them to see it. We know pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met the meet here. Meet here. I believe it's no sin. Out of the bundle, Joe, for the gallantry of a friend would not allow of this. Man in fleet black, mounting the beach, first produces plunder, is not as stenciled. Seal the two, a bone case, a pair of sleeve buttons, a brooch of no great valuable order. It was severely examined and praised by old Joe, chalked the sums he was disposed to give for each, put them all and added them up. In the total, when he found there's nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe. I won't give him another sixpence. I was reborn for not doing it. Who's next? Miss Dibble's next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel. Two old-fashioned silver spoon, teaspoons of a pair of silver stock, sugar tongs, a few boots. Account was stated on the wall in the same manner. Always gave too much to ladies. The weakness of mine. That's the way I ruined myself, said old Joe. That's your account. If you ask me another penny, I made it an open question. I pent being so liberal and not be off half a crown. Now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees to the greater convenience of opening, having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll with some dark stuff. What do you call this? said Joe. Bed curtains? Ah, returned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her across the arms. Bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, from him with him lying there. I don't yes I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, said Joe, and you certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get some, can get anything in it by reaching out for the sake of such a man as I was I promise you, Joe, said the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. His blankets? asked Joe. Who else do you think? replied the woman. He ain't likely to take cold without them, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching her. 
said old Joe, stopping his work, looking up. Don't you be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company. I do not know about him. Of that things, as he did. Uh, you may look through his that shirt till you always ache. He won't find a hole in it, or a threadbare place. The best he had, a fine one too. They have, a, they have wasted it. They haven't been for me. What do you call wasting of it? Asked old Joe. Put it on him to be buried in, to be sure. Replied the woman with a laugh. Tommy was full enough to do it. I took it off again. If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it ain't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming as a body. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror. They sat grouped about the swale, the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp. He viewed them with a detestation, a disgust, which could hardly have been greater. Though he'd been of been there had been obscene demons marked in the corpse itself. Aha! Lastly, the same woman with old Joe producing a flannel bag, money in it, told out there were several gains upon the rail. This is the end of it, you see. He frightened every one of them. He frightened every one away from him. Then he's alive to profit us. Then, when he was dead, ha ha ha! Great, said Scrooge, having head to foot. I see the case of this unhappy man might be my own. A life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? Cause and terror for the scene of change. Now you almost touch the bed, a bare, uncurtained bed, on which beneath a ragged sheet there lay something covered up, which, though it was dumb, announced itself in awful language. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed for any accuracy. Those Scrooge glanced around it in obedience to a secret impulse, anxious to know what kind of room it was. Pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon the bed. On it pondered and barren fished, unwatched and wept uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. His steady hand was pointed to the head. The covers so scarcely adjusted, the slightest raising of it, a motion of finger upon Scrooge's part would disclose the face and full of how he felt how easy it would would be to do do long to do it, but no more power to withdraw the veil than dismiss the spectre at his side. Oh cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death. Set up thine altar here, and dress it with such terrors as thou haste as I at thy command. For this is my thy domain, but of the loved, revered, and honoured head, thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes. I'll make one feature onerous. Is not the hand is heavy, will fall down when released. Is not that the heart and pulse are still, but the hand was open, generous, and true, heart brave, warm, and tender. The man, the pulse of man, strike. Where shadows strike, see good deeds springing from the womb to sow the well with life immoral mortal. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, yet he heard them. He looked upon the bed. He thought if this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost faults, avarice, hard work, dealing, gripping cares? 
griping cares. They have brought him to a rich end, truly. He lay in a dark, empty house, with not a man, a woman, nor child to say was kind to him. And this or that, for the memory, one kind word, I will be kind to him. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone that they wanted in the room of death. Why they were so restless, and, they, and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Perry said it was faithful place, fearful place, and leaving and leaving it, I should not leave it. Leave its lesson. Trust me. Let us go. Still, the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned. I would do it. If I could, but I have not the power, spirits, I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon us. If there is any person in town who feels the emotion caused by this man's death, this crew is quite agonised. Show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him in a moment like a wing, and withdrawing it, it revealed a room by daylight where a woman, a mother and a child were, expecting someone with anxious greediness, for her, for she walked up and down the room, started at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle, and could hardly bear the voices of children they're playing. At length, the long expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met Hogan, the man whose face was queer worn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he felt ashamed. Which he struggled to repress. He sat down at dinner, had been holding for him by the fire, when she asked him faintly what news, which is not until after long silence he appeared embarrassed, had no answer. Is good, she said, or bad to help help him? Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined? No, there is not hope yet, Caroline. He relents. He relents, she said. Amazed there it is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. It's quite past relenting, said her husband. It's quite past relenting, said her husband. He is dead. She's a wild and patient creature, if, she, if her face spoke truth. But she's thankful in her soul to hear it. He said so with his clasped hands. He prayed forgiveness the next moment. And was sorry, the first with the emotion of her heart. What? The drunken, the half-drunken woman who had told you last night said to me, I tried to see him and obtained a week's delay. I had thought was a mere excuse to avoid me. Turns out to have been quite true. You not only very ill, but dying then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know, but before that time, we shall be ready with the money. And then, no, even though we have it, will not. It would be a bad fortune indeed to find him so merciless as a predator, his successor, but you may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Yes, soften it is it, it, it as they would. Their hearts were lighter. The children's faces hushed and fluttered, flusters, flustered round to hear what they so little understood, but brighter was a little happier house with this man's death. The only emotion to that the ghost could show him Called one event was one of pleasure. Let me see certain tenderness connected with death, says Scrooge, or that dark chamber spirit, which we left just now, will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet. As he went along, Scrooge looked here and there, 
find himself at Lundwear was he so uh, was to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, dwelling he visited before, found the mother and children seated around the fire. Seated around the fire, quiet, very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were still as statues. The one woman sat looking up at Peter at a book beside him. Mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing. The surely they were very quiet. Then he took a child and let him in the midst of them. Very Scrooge heard those words, as well as he had not dreamed them. The boy must have read out as he and the spirit crossed the threshold. Why did he not go on? Mother laid her work upon the table, put her hand out to her face. The colour hurts my eyes, said she. The colour, oh, poor Tiny Tim. They're better now, they're better now again. Said Cratchit's wife, it makes them weak. I can't, I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past is near, but oh, rather, Peter answered, shutting up his box. I think he's walked a little slower than he used to these last few evenings, mother. They were very, they were very quiet again. At last, he said in a steady, cheerful voice that only flattered once. I have known him to walk with, I hope, I have known him walk with turning Tim upon his shoulder, very fast indeed. So have I, exclaimed cried Peter, often. And so have I, exclaimed another, so at all. But he was not, he was very like the carriage, he was soon intent upon the work. Your father loved him so, there's no, no trouble, no trouble. There's your father at the door. He hurried out to meet him. Little Bob in his comforter, he had need of it. Poor fellow came in. His tea was ready for him under the hall. They all tried who should help him to do do it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and lay, lay each side of each child a little cheek against his face. If they said, Don't mind it, father, don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table. A praise industry at speed of Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. They would be they would be done long before Sunday, he said. Sunday? You went today then, Robert? said his wife. Yes, my dear, returned Bob. I wish you could come come. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday, my little child cried Bobby. My little child. He broke down and all at once. He couldn't Help it if he could if he could have helped it. He and his child would have been further apart, perhaps, than he were. He left the room, went upstairs into the room above, which was lighted cheerfully, was hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child. There were signs that some one had been having been there. Lately poor Bob sat down in it, and when he thought a little to compose himself, he kissed the little face and was close cold to what had happened. Reconciled into what or to what had happened, he went down again, quite happy. He drew about the fire and talked to the girl, girls, the mother, working still. Bob told the girls, drawing his kindness, Mr. Scrooge's nephew, whom he scarcely seen but once, but meeting him in the street that day and seeing he looked at a little. Just a little down, you know, said Bob. He inquired what had happened to address him. 
Oh, which, said Bob, for he is a pleasant spoken man. Gentlemen, you have heard. I told him I was apparently sorry for him. It, scratch it, he said. And aren't he sorry for your good good wife? By the by now, he knew. Ever knew that? Never know that. How he ever knew that? I don't know. Know what, my dear? Why, what? That you are a good wife, replied Bob. Everybody knows that, said Peter. Well, very, very well, sir, my boy, said Bob. Hope you do. Heartily sorry, he said. For my old boy, a good wife. We can be of service to you in any way. He said, give us me his card. But that's where I live. Pray come to me. Now it wasn't, cried Bob. The sake of anything he might be able to do for us. So much for his own kind way. And was delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim had felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul, said Mrs. Cratchit. You are sure that you would be sure if it, if it, my dear, returned Bob, if he saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't be all surprised, Mark, but what I say, if he's not got Pete a better situation. I'll only, uh, only hear that, Peter, said Mr. Craig, Mr. Cratchit. And then, cried one of the girls, Peter, be keeping company with someone and setting up for himself. Come along up with you, reported Peter, grinning. You don't just like these not, said Bob. By these days, though, there's plenty of time for that, my dear. Forever, whatever we part, and one another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor Tony Tim. Shall we do shall we? All this first putting there was there well there there was among us. I know, said Bob. I know, my dears, when we collected our patience on how mild he was, though he was a little, little child, so no quarrel with easy among ourselves. We've got poor Tony Tim back doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob. I am very happy. Mrs. Cratchit kissed him, and his daughters kissed him. The two little young Cratchits kissed him. Peter himself shook hands with spirit of Tony Tim. That child did that. Was good, was from God. Better said Scrooge, something informs me that our party moment is at hand. I know it, I know not how. Tell me what man uh, has a wisdom now lying dead. Goes to Christmas yet, to come conveyed him. As before, through a different time, he thought indeed there was seen the order in these latter visions. Say that the world of future into the results. A businessman that showed him not himself. Indeed, the spirit did not stay for anything. I went straight on as if, as if to the end, just now deserved. And until we stopped by Scrooge to tarry for a moment. This court said Scrooge, though, we shall we hurry now, is where my place of occupation is. I have been for a length of time. I see the house. Let me behold what I shall be. In days to come, the spirit stopped. The hand was pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away? It's In this explorable finger went, underwent no change. Scrooge hastened to the window of his office and looked in. His office still, but not his. But it was not the same. The figure on the chair was not the same himself. The phantom pointed out before. He joined it at once, and wondering why and whither he had gone and accompanied 
Until they reached an iron nine gate, he paused to look around before entering churchyard here. Then the wretched man whose name he bent had to learn lay beneath, beneath the ground his worthy place, wallowed in by houses overrun by grass and weeds, growth of vegetation, death, not life, choked up with, with too much burying, fat with plenty appetite and worthy place. Spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to the one. He advanced towards it, trembling. The phantom was as active as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in some faint shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone for which you point, said Scrooge, ask me one thing. Are there shadows of things that will be? Or are there shadows of things that may be? Only, still the ghost pointed downwards at the grave by which it stood. Man's courses, man's courses were for shadows certain ends to which it preserved in a lead. The Scrooge, but in the courses departed from it, the end will change, say it, it thus. For you, what you show me, it was immovable as ever. Spirit crept to Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as it went. Fully finger read upon the stone, neglected grave, his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed and cried upon his knees? The finger pointed over the grave to him and back again. No spirit, oh no, no, his finger still was there. Spirits, he cried, still touching. Clutching his robe. Hear me, I'm not that man I was. I will not be that man. I must have been, but for this impulse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? The first time the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued it down upon the ground. He fell for it. It was ancient disease for me, and pities me, assure me, I not made yet that I may that I yet may change this these shapes. You have shown me by an altered life. The kind hand trembled. Oh, on the Christmas of my heart, and will try to keep it. And all year I will live the past, past and present and future. And the shadows of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut up the lessons they teach. They will tell me I will sponge away the lesson writing on the stone. In his agony, he caught the spectral hand. He sought to free itself, but he was strong in the entreaty. Entertained it. The spirit was stronger yet repulsed him. Holding out his hand as the last prayer to having his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the defender's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. 